I was recently asked why I put so much time and effort into writing and speaking about New Zealand's national security. The same reason you should, I replied. We owe it to our children, nieces, nephews and grandchildren to leave a better, safer country. That starts with a conversation about national security strategy. Because to not do that is indefensible, New Zealand. Welcome back. In the last few episodes, we've looked at the future of the world 2050 and beyond. Well, my view of it. We've looked at national security funding, delays, structural deficits, the law, and national security posture, or the grand strategy view, if you like. Now it's time to get down to the mechanics of national security. Let's attack New Zealand. Now, how would you go about doing that? First, let's emphasise it's not a real attack, but if I was going to plan an attack on New Zealand, I would assemble a red team. For those of you that are not familiar with that term, it's a group of individuals, specialists often in their own areas, who examine, probe, test, they look at simulations and scenarios, what some call war games, they use alternative future tracks and also alternative analysis, different ways of thinking. So who would I include? Well, to some degree, who I put in a red team to attack New Zealand on paper would be, depending on the intent, is it to attack or invade or occupy? Now this episode is actually about attacking New Zealand and that doesn't involve putting boots on the ground or staying here. The people that I would choose for my red team reflect the intent to create a situation where people no longer believe that the New Zealand government can keep them safe. It's about shaping public opinion against the status quo, damaging the ex export-based economy and creating shortages in order to do that, preventing or limiting international assistance, and a lot of that might have to do with timing, and also fracturing relationships with Pacific Island nations. So my red team would be a team of teams, with politics at the centre of it, both the internal politics, and you can include in there the fifth column, the people who have been here for years who disagree with the status quo, and also the external influences of politics. I'd have team members who are experts in fuels, oils, lubricants, both getting it here, refining it, distributing it, and so on. Energy, electricity and gas particularly. The three waters, and particularly the waters that we drink. Food, the production, storage, processing, distribution of food. Shipping, getting ships here, unloading them, loading them, getting them out, and the internet. And there's an interesting connection between the, those two and the submarine cables that connect us to the internet, and we're remarkably vulnerable in that regard. There's satellites, of course, so we need to look at space. Aviation, the ability to move aircraft in and out of the country and around the country. And it, very importantly, the health side of things. Medical, hospitals, pharmaceuticals, and so on. So that's my team of teams. What you might notice is that I haven't got a military team. There's no generals or admirals or air marshals in there, and neither is that important particularly. Although I would say that I would probably ensure that some of these experts in their fields had some knowledge or some prior experience of how the military might react and how the police might react to an indirect attack. Now the context for this scenario is that our allies and friends, choose who they are yourself, are decisively engaged elsewhere. And the our favourite enemy country that we developed and used in a lot of our scenarios is Buranda, assisted by a cohort of um, international organised criminal outfits. And the, the timeline I've placed on this scenario for the Red Team is just a few days for the initial attack. The fifth column has been in place for many decades. And in particular, since COVID hit, antagonists from around the world will have been watching our response to COVID and other Western nations as well, and formulating their plans based around the responses that they've seen governments and also the public 
uh, have played out. If you'd like some uh, background about uh, some of the aspects of Fifth Column, read my blog pieces at unclass.com, particularly The Enemy Within and What Becomes of the Disenfranchised. Now this, this aspect, this political aspect, also includes political activity that challenges the status quo, it offers alternatives and can communicate to the public directly without the internet. And that is a very important feature and if you think some little, little utilised aspects like ultra low power radio feature in that. Democracy is inherently self-defeating, so they say, because it allows its own opponents to rise up from within. And we'll just reflect on that as we go through. Back to the first strike. When would I attack? In the middle of winter, in the dark. By destroying the Cook Strait power cable, the vast majority of electricity generation in New Zealand is deprived from the vast majority of people living in the North Island. I'd activate a Stuxnet-style sleeper bot to take control of health, aviation, energy, financial, three waters, telecom, space, fuel stores and lubricants, and a range of devices on the Internet of Things. We'd also disable all but one submarine internet cable. Why not all? Well, we want to use one. Offshore cloud servers, for instance, will be largely unavailable, as will a whole heap of different functions and, and communications. Decapitation of government, and I don't mean decapitation as an off with their heads, but in the tactical sense of decapitation, compromising government's ability to command and control, and I'd simply do that by compromising Wellington's water supply, Fifth Columbus would also destroy tank farms in each of the major ports in the North Island, and I would use commercial off-the-shelf autonomous underwater vessels, which had been modified to be loitering munitions, to sink shipping in all the North Island ports and in our Pacific Island neighbours' ports as well. Cratering of major runways, particularly air force bases and international airports, and a compromise to the water supply of other significant areas like military camps and bases. So what happens? Well, the North Island goes dark and cold very, very quickly. You know what it's like just to be out of power for half an hour. Well, imagine several days or weeks or longer with old people in the middle of winter, sick people in the middle of winter, and just trying to keep your family alive. That takes people's attention off other elements of what's going on and simply focuses them inward. Most of the internet isn't functioning, so no one's going to school, no one's watching Netflix, no one's emailing or sending out government communications to anyone else. Unsurprisingly, civil unrest ensues as people demand satisfaction, demand things to be fixed, and martial law is declared, but the declaration won't get out to most people because there's no channel via which you can easily travel. That action, though, of declaring martial law does several things. Firstly, it ties up almost all your police force and the remaining defence force, and it serves to undermine public trust. It's a very, very harsh measure. Shipping is halted to all the North Island ports because there's boats sunk in front of the wharfs there, and the Pacific Islands' request for help in this matter goes unanswered because we are unable to help them. Fuel. What little fuel there is once the tank stores have gone is heavily rationed. Ships can't come in and unload, and so vehicles stop moving very, very quickly, and so... We need to ration what it's got to keep fire trucks and ambulances and the like moving. It won't last for long because we have almost no stocks in reserve. Hospitals are swamped unsurprisingly. It's the middle of winter and it's cold and it's and it's dark and medicine is in short supply and clinicians are finding it difficult to move around the place because of the lack of fuel and also of course the civil unrest and the riots. There's food shortages. This leads to looting. Militia groups become active as a result of this, armed militia groups. And so there are several hot engagements between Defence Force and police and militia. 
the direct democracy call from a political party that's been around the tracks for years and years and years suddenly starts to sound pretty good to some people. They call on the government to resign. Now in the South Island things aren't so dire. They still have electricity. They still have working ports. And by and large they're reconfiguring their resources to look after themselves. But there is no inter-island ferry for instance and almost nothing in the way of shipping. So the mayors of the South Island get themselves together and form an interim administration because that's the sensible thing to do, to take care of their people. And so you have all the mechanical pieces are in place to divide the country. Now why is this scenario important? It's important because it really emphasises how vulnerable we are, particularly that our, our ports and our sea lines of communication are our primary vulnerability. Now if the Defence Force was in charge of national security, they would control all the elements I've just talked about. But they don't, and they shouldn't. We can't rely on our intelligence partners to warn us ahead of these sorts of things. Goodness knows they've dropped the ball enough times already of late. We need to do more as a country to guide our own destiny, and that starts with a strategy. And I've got another article I'd recommend you have a look at called The War on Semantics up on the UNCLAS blog. For those who think this is all a bit fanciful and a bit fictional, I suggest you listen to other people that have been talking along the same uh, track, uh, particularly Australian Liberal Senator Jim Molan, who has a podcast series, Noise Before Defeat. Uh, you can find him at jimmolan.com or on your favourite podcast provider. And he also has given a lot of interviews and, and written a lot about the subject of national security because Australia is in exactly the same situation that we're in with a lack of self-reliance and a lot of issues out in front of them. Here's three. China attacks Taiwan in order to bring it back into the fold. They've, they've declared as much, that they intend to bring it back into the, into the one China policy. And if you think that's impossible, think about Hong Kong just a few years ago. The US is either defeated in the region when it tries to intervene, or it doesn't engage because it knows it can't win. Or it's decisively engaged elsewhere, and its national security strategy only allows it to win one war and hold one more. Whichever way that happens, the outcome for China of attacking Taiwan may simply be to drive the US out of the Pacific. That has consequences for us, both as a friend and also simply because of disruption in the area. War in this region closes sea lines and it closes air lanes of communication to almost all non-military traffic and that has significant implications for us. As does war in the Middle East. Let's say a, a, um, an antagonist up there choose one, turns off the oil by blockading the Gulf or just basically closing the Gulf due to conflict. Even if the sea lanes beyond that are open, oil tankers are not going to come in and out of there and we're going to run out of fuel very, very quickly. I could go on there, but I think you've got the general idea. We have to be more self-reliant. We need a strategy that covers more than just um, tanks, planes and, and uh, bullets. And we need to look in the next 30 years and say, how is this going to develop? And how quickly might these threats arise? Quite quickly, in my opinion. Some of them already exist. And how quickly can we move now to offset some of these problems? In the next episode, something a bit more like war is experienced by people in uniform. I know there's a group of people out there just hanging out to talk platforms. So we're getting there. Hang in. Well, that's it for this episode of Indefensible New Zealand. If you found it useful, please subscribe and share it with your friends. For more information on New Zealand's national security, or to send in questions for the series, go to my website, unclas.com. Mm -hmm.